he's such a goofball. I, I said yesterday, that was the first time I'd heard the message, and I was like, like I wouldn't always be here. He's like, I'm in the house for the first time or something, or I'm just a guest speaker. I'm like, I'm here every weekend, <laughs> so this is not new to me, but it has been a while since I've been able to preach, and I'm so honored, so excited to be able to share the Word of God tonight. Um, before I go into my, my message tonight, though, I always want to take the opportunity when I get a chance, especially in a, in a group setting, to give glory where glory is due. We sang that second song that he is in the fire with us. He's in the water with us. He, when we're going through a trial, when we're in a storm, when the waves seem like they're going to take us under, we recognize that God is in those places. But I want to remind you that God is also in the good times. The word of God tells us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The unfortunate thing is, is a lot of times we only recognize him in the, in the difficult times because that's the only time we seek his face. But he's always there. And I just want to encourage you to, to recognize him even when things are going good in your life, to give him glory. And right now things are going good in my life, but they haven't always. It has been a tough last season Lots of different things happening in my family and health and all of that. But I want to stand here today and give all honor and glory to God because he is good and he is faithful. And anytime you have a chance to share your testimony and what God has done in your life, I encourage you to do it. Because the testimony of you, the testimony of me, it changes lives. We overcome the enemy by the, word, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so there is power in your testimony. So I just wanted to share with you that I am in a good season right now. But I recognize him now and I recognized him then. It's only when we practice his presence and are aware that he is with us always. And that's why it's so important to know the word of God, to know that he never will leave you. He never will forsake you. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you that we get to come into this building on a Monday night and freely worship you, freely sing to you. What a beautiful song service tonight, just to get our hearts right and prepared to come out of this busy, hectic Monday, to get our hearts settled and focused on you. You are worthy of all of our praise. Jesus, your name is above every name, every name, cancer, depression, fear, anxiety, divorce, cancer, whatever the name may be, your name is higher, and we want to glorify you tonight, and I pray that in this time, Holy Spirit, would you come upon me, give me power and boldness to speak your truth. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So if you're a note taker, I want to give you the title of my message tonight. It is called Say It Again. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that saying in the church world, but it is something that is quite popular these days when someone says something good if you're in a church where they actually talk back to you which y'all are pretty good at that but somebody will say say it again so the back row can hear you meaning wow that was powerful I need to hear it one more time well Pastor Ty just got out of a series called Hidden Heroes how many got to hear his series on Hidden Heroes incredible series if you have not been able to listen to it um, all of the messages are on uh, YouTube you can go back and listen to those um, it was powerful. It was very powerful. And I, I want you to know that even though he's my husband, he's also my pastor. And so I grow listening to the things that he says. So I was taking notes and writing things down, and I was like, you know what? We need to do like a cliff note version of this. It was so good and so powerful that sometimes you forget from one week to the next what we talked about. So today I want to kind of condense all of it, and I want to share it in one powerful word. But then I'm also going to show you some things that the Lord has shown me through the book of John uh, to kind of correlate alongside of this. Um, so tonight, let's get started with what God is wanting to share with us 
uh, tonight. I want to let you all know that being on this stage, being in full-time ministry, receiving accolades for doing for the Lord is not what our primary goal is in following Jesus. Our primary goal in following Jesus is being obedient to his instruction, and that is our goal. Following him and being obedient to his instruction is the primary goal of every single believer. But so many times, like Pastor Ty said, we think the hidden heroes, the people behind the scenes that make things happen, have no value. And tonight I want to encourage every single one of you, you have value. There is purpose on your life. You were born on purpose for a purpose, with a purpose, and God wants to use you in mighty ways. And when Ty sent us out last week, he said, be praying, what is your assignment? What has God called you to do? And he actually started every message in the Hidden Heroes series with the verse Deuteronomy 6.5. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Church, we make it too difficult. We make following Jesus too difficult. I can't tell you how many times Pastor Ty and I have met with people who come into the office or they ask us after service, I want to know what my purpose is. What am I called to do? This right here is your answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And my first point tonight is this, doing for God should be an overflow of being with God. So if you're wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? You're not supposed to know what to do until you know who you're doing it for, until you have relationship with him. When you go to the Father and you spend time with him, his spirit gets inside of you, his purpose gets inside of you, his word gets inside of you, and then you begin to overflow, and that gives you the purpose that God has put on your life. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Another problem that we have as believers in Christ Jesus is we think that we have to do the work. We think that we have to fix this. We can't fix this on our own. It says we have to remain in him. And the thing that I love about that is it doesn't say you may bear fruit if you remain in him. It says you will bear fruit. And not just fruit, you'll bear much fruit when you remain in him. And so that should be the thing we want the most in our walk with the Lord. What's your purpose? What has God called you to do? What is your assignment? It's to remain in the Father. It's to recognize that without him, you can't do anything you can't minister, you can't fix your husband, you're never supposed to do that anyway, you're not supposed to fix your wife. Holy Spirit can do his job, but what he's asking us to do is to remain in him, connect to him, recognize that without him we can do nothing, but with God all things are possible. So if doing for God should be an overflow of being with God, I'm going to ask a question that's probably not English correct, correct with English, but how do we be with God? If being, doing for God should be an overflow of being with God, how do we be with God? Most Christians, which I'm hoping all of you in this room tonight would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Most of us believe that being with God is attending a service on a weekend, a Sunday or a Monday. Trial comes, which it comes to all of us. The winds blow and we cry out, God, where are you? Anybody ever been there? Something's going on in your life, and you cry out, God, where are you? I've been to church every Monday night for the last month, and I've also served twice at the door. Why is this happening to me? Like, we have done so much for the Lord. Why are we going through this difficult season? 
we get tossed back and forth in our faith because we made church our foundation of faith. And church was never meant to be foundation. I love that Ty is so willing to say that church is not going to save you. Pastors, good teaching is not going to save you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that brings salvation to all men. And I love that because that could very well, it's almost like, I don't know, I'm trying to come up with something on the fly here. But, you know, a pilot, you're hoping that he's going to fly the plane and he says something like he doesn't know, you know, this plane's not going to get you to where you're going unless somebody really good's flying it. I mean, you're hoping he thinks he's really good to fly it. And it's almost like Ty's discouraging you to walk in these doors. Though this building, this place, this ministry is only a tool. It is only a tool that God uses for the equipping of the saints. That's you. And that's Pastor Ty's job is to teach and to preach and to build you up and encourage your faith so that you can go out there and be the church. Not sit in the church, but be the church. When Ty and I were in Israel in April, we met a man named Tim Timmons phenomenal, gifted musician. You may have heard his songs on K-Love. He's actually coming in October to our first Wednesday. And he has a podcast called 10K Minutes, 10,000 Minutes. And if you do the math, there are 10,080 minutes in a week. And we as believers think that 80 minutes in a church service on a weekend out of 10,080 is going to get us connected to the vine. It's a lie of the enemy. There's 10,000 more minutes in our day that God, our creator, is saying, remain in me, come to me, seek me, knock, and I'll answer. Keep knocking. But we have been deceived to think that this right here is enough, and I want you to know that it's not. Is it good? Yes, and I pray you leave encouraged every time you walk in, but it is not enough. The foundation of our life should be the rock, which is Jesus. The foundation of our life should be the anchor, which is Jesus. Church is not our rock. It is not our anchor. So tonight we are going to go to the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. It's in John chapter 4. And I'm going to, it's a long scripture, so I'm not going to read it all to you tonight. I'm just going to paraphrase what this story is about. But in John chapter 4, Jesus is going to Galilee with his disciples. And to get from Judea to Galilee, he needs to go through, well, he has two routes, but he chooses to go the the route that's the most difficult. Why is it the most difficult? Because he is going to go through Samaria. And to know a little bit of the backstory and the history of Samaria, Samaria used to be a Jewish-run land. The Jews owned it. But the Assyrians in 772 conquered them. And they imprisoned them, they killed them, but those that were left, the Assyrians commingled, and wed some of the Jews, therefore giving birth to Samaritans. So if you were a true blue Jew, if you were a full-blooded Jew, you did not like Samarians. You saw them as a mixed race. You saw them that they were commingled with the enemy. And so Jews did not have relationships, did not speak to, did not do business with Samaritans. So for Jesus to get he and his disciples to Galilee, going through Samaria was probably not wise to the rest of the world. The other thing is, is when he gets there, he sends his disciples on to go get food. It's uh, lunchtime, it's noon is what it says in the word, and he sends them on, which is interesting to me that any of those disciples would leave Jesus alone. Many of them would love to have alone time with him, but for some reason, he was able to convince them all to go on to town to get bread, and he was going to stay back. And this Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. 
Now, the interesting thing about that is that when the, the women of Samaria would come to draw at Jacob's well, this was done normally in the morning when it was cool, or it was done in the evening when it was cool. It was not done in the hottest part of the day. Now, also something very interesting about this is that women would come in groups. It was a social time. It was time for them to chat on the latest, best recipe for keto and all of those things that they were doing. You know, back then they ate bread all the time, so I wish we were living back then. Um, but that was the time for them to have community, to spend time together, also for protection. So here Jesus is by himself, noon at, in Samaria, a place that a Jew would not be, which Jesus was a Jew. And this woman comes to draw water, and he asks her, woman, can you give me a drink of water? Which starts this back and forward debate, because number one, she's confused. Now, why is this man talking to me? Because men don't talk to women, especially in, in alone like that. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Why would he want to drink from my cup? Because if you touched something that belonged to a Samaritan, the Jews believed they were defiled, and they would now have to go into the week of cleansing and all that. So a lot of backstory there that's taking place. But the point that I want to point out is this story in John chapter 4 is me and you. It's me and you. It's Jesus being willing to leave the rest, to let them go ahead, to go the route that's least desirable. It's called a cross. He went to a cross. That's not a lot of fun. The worst part of the day, and he's willing to meet a broken Samaritan woman, a broken Gentile woman, and willing to have a meeting with her and speak to her pain and speak to her heart, and bring healing that day. There's no shadow that he won't light up. We know this song, right? There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't tear down running after you. And this story shows you and I that if he'll do it for her, he'll also do it for me and you. And if you're not following the Lord, or you are now, and you're thinking, but does he see me? Does he know me? Does he care? Does he love me? Does he really have a plan for my life? I'm telling you right now, you serve a God who is willing to go the extra mile to meet you in your sin, in your struggles, in your brokenness, in your wounds. In verse 10, Jesus says, after he's asked for a drink of water, and she's a little bit feisty, she's a feisty woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, you would ask for a drink of water from me, and I would give you living water. She's not getting it at first. She's questioning him. She's like, if you're asking me for water, you don't even have anything to get in the well, and the well's very deep, and she's going all philosophical like she's trying to, she doesn't understand, which most people didn't understand. Most people didn't see Jesus for who he was. They were blinded to the truth, and this woman was no different. There's two questions that I believe that we have to ask ourselves and answer for success in our Christian walk. How many want success in your Christian walk? How many would say it's not been easy? How many would say it's been maybe a struggle following Jesus? Well, I want you to know it's not supposed to be. Are we supposed to have trials? Are we supposed to have difficulties? Yes, we're all promised that those things are going to happen. But we are supposed to have peace in the middle of a storm. We are supposed to have joy when there seems to be no way. We are supposed to believe and have hope even when there seems to be no possible way to have hope. So the two questions we're going to ask tonight is this. 
Number one, who is he? If you want success in your Christian walk with Christ, you have to first know who is he. And if you're a believer in this room, then you know him as Savior. You know that he died on the cross, he went to the tomb, three days later he rose again, and you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You know him as, it, as Savior. But unfortunately, that's where many of us stop. Savior is all we know him as. But there is so much more. He is beyond Savior, the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the holy one. He's the light of the world, the teacher, the Messiah, the author of life. He's the healer, the lamb of God, the creator, and the good father. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. One thing I like to do with my Bible, I hope I, this is one of my study Bibles, and I hope to leave one to each one of my boys. But I go through here, and any time I ever see a name of God, I write it at the top. I highlight it, highlight it, and then I write it at the top. So when I'm just flipping through my Bible, and I need to be reminded, he's the shepherd of Israel. He's the maker. He's the king. He's the most high. And I just flip through my Bible, and it's a great way to be able to be reminded in a moment's notice of who he is. Because if you don't know who he is, why would you follow him? Why, how do you stand on something and someone as your rock and your foundation if you don't even know who he is beyond Savior? Because I promise you, it's not just about getting saved and making sure my home is going to be in heaven. There is so much more. He wants us to have life and life more abundant here on this earth. And if we don't have relationship with him and know him, we will struggle. How do we discover his character and his character? How do we find out who he is? And Pastor Ty said this in his sermon. Number one, time in the secret place. And I know you heard it in his series, but I want to say it again. Time in the secret place is so very important. Your time, your private time with God is one of the most important habits that you can develop. If I take my car into the shop every week because something is wrong with it, but I just pull up to the front door and I don't even get out and talk to the mechanic, but I show up every, every week with this car. If I don't talk to the mechanic, tell him what's wrong with my car, do you think my car is ever going to get fixed? But we show up with our problems and we gripe about it with our friends, but we don't talk to the mechanic that can look at our heart and say, ooh, I see that area that needs to be tweaked. I see that area that needs to be healed. I see that area that's been broken from your childhood, and I want to help fix it. We don't do that. And you wonder why I'm still struggling. I'm still battling with this. Because we are called to spend time one-on-one -on -one with our Father in the secret place. I shared with you guys um, after Pastor Ty preached that sermon, The Secret Place. This is one of the most phenomenal books. If you don't have it, I highly recommend it. You can get it on Amazon. Very inexpensive. It's a daily devotional. Right now it's, been in, it's in reprint, and so it's white with a gold key, so it won't look like this. But it's called Secrets of the Secret Place. It is phenomenal. The subtitle is Keys to Igniting Your Personal Time with God. And it is so incredible. I mean, I, every single time I read it, I get something new out of it. But God wants us to have that secret time with him. We need God to look at our heart. He wants to hear about your pain. You may think, well, my problems are so minim minimal compared to everybody else's. Guys, he loves you just as much as he loves the person with the biggest problems in the world in your eyes. Because your problems matter to him just as much as anybody else's do. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. And y'all know what happened the day that Jesus died and he says that it is finished? 
the veil ripped from the top down. I was just reading about it today when Stephen was talking about in, in Acts before he was stoned, talking about that veil being ripped. It gave full access to God. You and I, once upon a time, our ancestors could not have intimacy with the Father because of sin. And Jesus went to the cross and died not so that we could sit in this building. He went to the cross not so that we could just go to heaven. He went to the cross and sent his son so that you and I could have relationship again with the good, good Father. And I know a lot of this may seem like, Heather, I know all this. But sometimes I feel like we have to be reminded how important the secret place is. So, this is a question that I've asked my Bible study girls. If you didn't catch Pastor Ty's message about our Simply Create every Wednesday night at 6.30, we study the Word of God together. And this was a question that I asked. Why is the secret place so hard? Would you agree that time alone with God can sometimes be challenging, can be hard? So the question is, why is it so hard? And most of the time people say, I have no time, right? I have no time. And I want to call BS. <laughs> I didn't say it. That's, it's not true. We have time. If we have time to go to a football game, if we have time to do our favorite hobby, if we have time to scroll so social media, your pastor even admitted to it. Last week, he said he starts out just saying, oh, I'm just going to see real quick. I have 10 minutes. And 45 minutes later, he's looking at his phone. We all have time. It's what is our priority? What do we want to gain from our quiet time with the Lord? So here's my encouragement that I want to give you. It's hard because we don't see immediate results. That's why it's hard. It's not because you don't have time. It's because you don't see the results of your quiet time. But don't give up. You may not feel it. You may not see it. But don't give up. My encouragement is this. Our prayer time and our devotional time with God is more like the planting of a garden. It's more like planting a garden. When a, when a farmer goes out to sow for his farm, he doesn't begin to sow in his rows and get to the end of the line plant that last seed and turn around and go, why are there no green things growing up? I've planted corn. Why is corn not growing? They are fully aware that every time they plant a seed, there is a season until it brings forth growth. Your secret place is a sowing seed time of spending time with the Lord, and it will bring a harvest. How do I know that? Galatians 6, 7 a man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Two scriptures right there that remind us that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you sow into the secret place and spending time alone with God, don't give up because you're not seeing immediate results. Don't give up because the prayer didn't be, wasn't answered the way you had hoped it would be answered. Keep going. Keep going. Keep meeting with the Lord. Keep shutting the door and spending time alone with him. Keep getting in your truck and driving down the road and talking to God about the pain and the concerns and the fears and your kids and your marriage and all of these things. And I promise you, if the word of God says it, it will not return void. What he says to be true will take place. It is impossible to sow into the spirit and not reap a corresponding harvest. It is impossible to sow into the spirit and not reap a corresponding harvest. So do it. Make time for your secret place. 
Keep making time. Don't lose heart and trust God at his word. So finding out who he is, number one, time in the secret place. Number two, read your Bible. Basic stuff, right? But we need to be reminded. Most of you probably said, no, Heather, please do not bring up reading my Bible. That's why I come to church, so Pastor Ty can explain it to me. It's too difficult. I don't understand it. There's a list of scriptures here that I want you to write down and go back and read this week. And it is reminding us how powerful this word is. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This right here thoroughly equips us for every good work. Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. How many of us need to know where we're going? How many of us feel like sometimes we're walking in the dark? And we don't know what step to take, what turn to make. This is how we know it. It tells us that his word is a lamp into our feet. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This won't change from day to day. You can pick up a newspaper and it's different today than it was yesterday. You can work at a job and your boss's vision statement can be one thing one year and something completely different the next year. The, the farmer's almanac can be one thing one year and totally different the next year. This is the only thing that never changes. Never changes. And the great thing about it is you can read through it and then go back and read through it again and realize I didn't even remember reading that the last time. It is all consuming. It is all fulfilling and it will keep doing it over and over and over again every time we get into his word. He's a good father. And he would not inspire this written word and then keep you from understanding it. He wouldn't do that. He says, you have not because you ask not. And my question for you is this. Have you asked him for help, for understanding, and for supernatural wisdom? I encourage you, when you go to read your Bible, don't just sit down and open it up. Pray. Holy Spirit, I need you. You inspired this to be written. You're going to have to reveal it to me, and show me what it, how it pertains to me. But a lot of times, too, we don't need to read it to try to figure out ourselves. We need to read it to know who he is. That's what we need to do. Because when we know who he is, we don't need to know me because me needs to change. Me needs to be different than who I am. I read this word so that I can know him, and in knowing him, things change in my life. There's a podcast that I want you to write down. It's called The Bible Recap. It's about five, six minutes long, but on the way to Cloudcroft this last weekend, I would listen to um, the Bible, have it read to me, and I was doing the book of Job. Book of Job is a challenging book to read, but I, I played like Job 1 through 3, and I would listen to it, and then I would go to this podcast, and she would in, in, explain and encourage you in Job 1 through 3. She breaks it up into sections, and she would encourage you about six minutes long, it's all it is. I learned so much history, backstory. She pointed out things that I didn't even recognize. In our Bible study on Wednesday night, we were studying Ananias and Sapphira um, in Acts. 
And that's another confusing thing. Like, we're not quite sure. And we were discussing it and trying to, and we were, we were all a little puzzled. Like, gosh, I, I just don't know what, what was he thinking? And somebody on the back section, uh, CJ, she spoke up and she said, this is what it says, though, in my version of the Bible. It uses this word. And she was reading New King James. Somebody, we were reading all different versions, but she was reading the, the closest to the truth. And it brought revelation to us. There is power when you read it with other people. There is power when you, when you listen to somebody else explain it. So there are so many resources out there. You cannot use that I'm not smart enough and I don't understand it. 99% of the disciples would say they did not have the education. They did not have the foreknowledge. They did not know enough to be able to preach the power of God in, in, with boldness and confidence. But they did because they had the Holy Spirit with them. And you and I can understand the word of God. I don't know if you knew this, but your pastor started preaching at rodeos using a children's illustrated Bible. Because he did not understand the word of God. And today he blows my mind with his revelation and understanding that God gives him. Because what does God do? He, you reap what you sow. When you read the word of God and you desire the word of God and you desire his truth, you can start small. He says, do not despise, in Zechariah, do not despise the days of small beginnings. Do not despise when you have to start small and work your way up. God will bless and honor when you pour in and sow into learning his word. He will speak to you. So the second question that we have, so the first one was, um, who is he? The second question we need to ask ourselves for success is who am I in him? Who am I in him? I believe this is the number one missing component in the life of believers is understanding their new identity in Christ Jesus. Understanding who we are in Christ. And it all starts here. If you don't know who you are in Christ, it's guaranteed that you're going to become discouraged. My cousin many years ago uh, was struggling. He was walking away from the Lord, kind of living a little wild. And he would look at me and see me leading a Bible study, and he would go, I just don't get you. You call yourself a Christian, but you still sin. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I do. You know, because I'm a human. I still struggle with sin. And I, I think the thing that most Christians, most people do not understand the misconception, is that when we become saved, we have a new spirit, but it does not mean we have a new soul. We have a new spirit, but it does not mean that we will have a new soul. When we get saved, we will continue at times to struggle with flesh. We will struggle with sin. And then we ask our question, why am I so weak? Why am I still struggling with this? And then we ask this question, am I even saved? Anybody been there? Y'all want to know how many times I have said the sinner's prayer? I was raised in a very strict home, believing that my mother believed that when she was raised, Jesus, God, had this tiny little pencil and this gigantic eraser. And every time she Asked for forgiveness, he wrote her name in the Lamb's Book of Life, in pencil, mind you, and not really realizing it's written in blood, written in pencil. And every time she'd screw up or she'd sin, she thought if she died in a car wreck and she yelled the S word while she was dying, she was going to hell. I mean, that's how I was raised, is to believe that if you're saved, you shouldn't be struggling with anything. 
you shouldn't be going through anything. And I believe that that is such a misconception that is not taught about and is not encouraged for people to understand that when you get saved, your spirit man is saved, but your soul and your body, they do not receive salvation. I want to show a couple of slides up here. So I'm going to go into a little bit of a teacher mode for just a second. This is the Trinity of God. This is God the Father who sent God the Son to die on the cross for us. God the Son lived for 40 days after rising from the dead, walking with others, being seen by over 500 people. And he said, I must go to the Father so that I can send the gift, the gift being the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down in Pentecost and gave the disciples power and authority to speak the word of God. And thing, lives were changed. That's where the church started was with the Holy Spirit. Now, in Genesis, we know that you and I were created in the image of God. So if this is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this is us. This is us. We are soul, body, and spirit. We, too, are three parts. Now, many of you may not know this, but the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, let me ask you again. Do you believe your soul got saved when you asked Jesus to come into your heart? I don't know about you, but this mind of mine did not get saved. I don't know about you. I don't know if any of you have 13-year-old daughters in here, but you know that emotions did not get saved when they ask Jesus to come and be the Lord of their life. When you get saved, your spirit is born again. But from there on out, your spirit is in a battle with your soul. It's a war that's going on. At the moment of salvation, we become one in spirit with Christ. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So if you are in Christ... All the fullness of God dwells in your human body. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God lives in you. So let's say this. You get saved and you're asking yourself, why am I still struggling with this sin? Why is this still a problem in my life? Why do I deal with this all the time? Why do I scream at my kids? Why do I deal with anger? Why is pornography an issue in my life? You need to recognize that the enemy will use your sin to attack you and make you question who you are in Christ. That's his number one goal. When you become a Christ follower, Satan has lost you. He no longer has power and authority over you. But he will try to silence you and confuse who you are so that you then won't be the testimony that God has called you to be. Because God said, go into all the world and be my witness. You can't be a witness if you don't know who you are in Christ. And so if we are the fullness of God in, human in a human body, even when you're sinning, even when you're still struggling, this is not a permission slip to sin, but this is just you knowing the truth about our Father. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his Son. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. So when you're beating yourself up for the struggle you still have with your sin, you need to tell Satan to shut up. And you need to say, I am the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore because my sin is as far as, as the east is from the west. We have been washed and cleansed and we are white as snow. 
And I believe it is one of the things that makes Christians run the opposite direction is because they think it's just too hard. I can't stop doing this. So either I'm not saved or I'm just not a very good Christian. It's just too hard. Guys, your body didn't get saved. Your mind didn't get saved. Your emotions didn't get saved, but your spirit man did. And if you will spend time in the secret place, you will find out who God is. You will find out who you are in Christ and the truth about that. Your sin can be overcome. Your sin can be healed. Things can change. How many have a testimony of things that used to once be so flavorful in your mouth? Or you loved that, you loved that, and no longer you have a distaste and a disgust for it. It is time with the Father. It is not you doing better. It is not you trying harder. It is the Spirit of God working in us. Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions will never change if you don't recognize the Spirit in you. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. He's telling you, you can't do it. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. You don't have what it takes. When Ty, Pastor Ty's first message in this series was your dirt, it's true. Not to put us down, but it is what it is. We, we don't have what it takes. We are just merely dirt. Out of dust we came, back to dust we'll go. It is only by the spirit and the power of God that we can actually see change in our life. So if we are in Christ fully caring the deity and the fullness of God in us. How do we walk in our new identity? How do we walk it out? We go to our secret place. We go to our secret place. I, I, didn't do, I didn't do this in any of the services, and I'm not on camera other than for you guys, so it's not being recorded, but I'm going to do this just as a visual. This is what I envision every time I wrote this down, and I preached it twice yesterday, I envision going to the secret place, holding my Bible open, and saying, God, I cannot do this without you. I can't do it. I don't stand in a position of high authority. I don't stand as a pastor of a church. I don't stand as a parent, a wife. I am humbly just sitting in the presence of God with the word of God that sometimes I don't even understand. And I'm saying, I just need your presence. I need your spirit. Because this walk, this journey is too hard without you. And the reason we give up many times is because we do it in our own power and in our own strength. And he says, it's impossible. But then it also says, with God, all things are possible. So I'm hoping with God it'll be possible for me to stand up and not make a fool out of myself. Ugh. Okay, I think I did okay. All right, I'm coming to an end. I'm going a little long. Sorry, you guys. So I want to say this. You were saved by grace. You will grow by grace. Grace didn't stop at salvation. You were saved and given something that you didn't deserve. It was eternal life. But you also walk out this life with continued grace. God has it for you, but the question is, do you have it for yourself? So let's go back for just a minute to the Samaritan woman. On that day in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman met the living water. She sat in the secret place because that was a secret place. Something was happening that wasn't supposed to be happening. She sat there with Jesus and she dialogued with him. She came broken and ashamed, but she left full of hope. 
The world saw her as used and unwanted, and she left with the testimony that Jesus knew who she was, saw everything she ever did, and yet he still met with her. And I have a question for you tonight. Are you asking God to meet you in your sin and asking him to help you stop? Is there something right now that you would say, ah, I recognize that as sin, and I need God to help me stop. I need him to help fix it. I need him to take it away. I have an idea, and I think it's a good one. What if instead of us asking him to meet us in our sin, we started asking him to heal the root of our sin? Because your sin is not truly the issue. It's a root. Sin is your coping mechanism for a wound that you might have gotten as a young child. If porn has been an issue for you, the root is loneliness and rejection. If anger is an issue for you, it quite possibly could be that you were violated as a young child or you were rejected, maybe unappreciated. If alcohol abuse is something you struggle with, you quite possibly could have been abused as a child yourself. And just those moments of forgetting and not having to think about it might be a wound that you're struggling with. We want God to fix our sin, take it away, but he wants to heal the root. Because if we will let God meet us at the root. You know, this woman said to God, I've been married five times, and the, one, the man I'm with right now is I'm not even married to him. God didn't say, well, shame on you. I can't do anything until you stop that sinning. He healed the wound that she had, and then she left, and she went back healed and I don't, we don't know this whole story, what ended up happening, but God met her in her brokenness. And the sin that you're struggling with, I promise you, if you go before the Lord and you don't talk to him at all about your sin, don't talk to him at all about your sin, go to the Lord and say, God, there's, I'm broken. And I promise you, if he can heal the broken place, your sin will dissipate. You won't need that alcohol anymore. You won't need to look at that anymore. You'll find a disgust for it because this has been healed. What you're struggling with is simply a coping mechanism to deal with the pain that you're still struggling with. And I don't know what that is. And you right now may not know what that is. But when you go to your secret place and you spend time alone with the Lord and you say, I give you my heart. Here it is. Take a look, mechanic. What needs to be fixed? And you let him talk to you and let him show you. And let. Yesterday morning I prayed with a woman that stayed here. She asked if she could stay. I don't even know what time she left weeping from something that happened in her childhood. And I believe she walked out of here free. No longer to struggle with the fear that she carried, but she carried it because she was broken from a moment that happened with her father as a child. John chapter 4 is the longest recorded conversation in Scripture between Jesus and another person. A woman, unseen, rejected, and broken. In verse 39 through 42, it says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. goes on and says this, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It is so vital that we give our testimony, but then after people hear our testimony, they have to have their own encounter with the Father. It's powerful. 
You may think you're hiding from God, but you're not. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He also knows the pain and the rejection and the hurt that you've been dealing with maybe your whole life. The final point is this. Healing comes when we dialogue with God. The struggle you have with your sin is due to your brokenness. And he wants to meet you in your pain. When, the he, when he heals the root, sin has no hold on your life. These are just some misconceptions that many of us have in our walk with the Lord. We have to know who he is. He's a good, good father. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince. He is our savior. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He is the head. We, he makes us the head and not the tail. There's a list that can go on and on. He's our provider. He's the father that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If you don't know those things, when you're struggling to pay your bills, when you're being rejected by a husband or a spouse, you begin to doubt who God is. But when you know who he is, there is power that comes. But then you have to know who you are in him. When you struggle with the sin in your life, he's not seeing your sin. He is seeing the saved person you are that his son died on the cross for, and you are the righteousness of Christ. But this body, this mind, all of these things, when we give them to him, he will help us. It says that we continue to walk in our salvation, working out our salvation. It's a daily thing. One last thing that I want to point out in the Samaritan woman's story. She ran back to the town and she told everyone that would listen what had happened. She told everyone because shame will grow in your secrets. You can't let what God has done or maybe what's been done to you remain a secret. You have to let God heal it and then be willing to share it. In history, the Samaritan woman has a name. Her name was Fotina. To this day, Jacob's well, where she met with Jesus, is one of the most authentic sites in the Holy Land. It is unfortunately in the West Bank and Palestinian rule, so not many people can go and see it. But they built a church over Jacob's well, and it is called the Church of St. Fotina. The church memorializes her as the first evangelist to win an entire city to Christ. The woman at the well. The broken woman at the well. The first one to win an entire city because she met alone in the secret place with Jesus. And she came out whole. And she continued to live for him. In fact, history even tells us that she was martyred for Christ. You know how she was killed? She was thrown in a dry well. Quite interesting that the woman who met the living water at the deepest well ever made was thrown in a dry well to die. But it didn't matter how she died because she knew the one she was going to, the living water. As we close, I just want to encourage you, I want to pray over you that you would be willing to meet with Jesus tonight. That if you want to start your assignment you first have to spend time asking the one who created you, what did you create me for? This last little bit in the secrets of the secret place, I just want to read it to you as the band gets set up. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Don't be like a mule that someone has to put a harness around you to drag you to Christ. To spend time with him. 
Be willing to come on your own accord. That's the good thing about God. He's given us free will. We get to choose. We get to come to him, him on our own accord. It closes out. It said, intimacy precedes insight. Passion precedes purpose. First comes the secret place. Then comes divine guidance. God doesn't simply want to get you on the right path. He wants to enjoy you throughout the journey. He doesn't want you to find his will and then take off running, leaving him in the dust. God's primary desire for your life is not that you discover his will and walk in it. His primary desire is that you draw near to him and come to know him. God wants to be known. And then he desires that from that knowing relationship, there come a tender walking together in his purposes. That's his desire. It's not that you go do work for him. That's not his desire. His desire is that you know him. And then in knowing him comes your purpose. In knowing him, the overflow into the ministry God has called all of us to. Not just full-time ministry at a church. We're all called to full-time ministry at our job, at the grocery store, to our family. We all have been called to share what God has done in our lives. Y'all stand to your feet, and I want to pray over you. We're going to sing this song one more time. And as we do, our prayer team is going to come down here. And if you want to pray with someone, there's such power in agreement. If you can right now say, I can pinpoint this one thing that I've been asking God to heal for so long, and I never saw it that way, Heather. It's not that he needs to heal that. It's that he needs to heal this, and I know what it is. Or maybe you're like, I don't know what it is, but God, I need you to reveal to me what it is. Let our prayer team pray with you tonight. Let them agree with you that God is going to meet you at this place, and he's going to speak to you that broken spot that he wants to heal. And I promise you, when the healing comes, the sin will go away. Father, I pray for every single person in this room tonight. I pray, Father, that what I just spoke, that your word that came forth, Lord, that I know it will not return void. And I just pray that there would be a boldness among your people to step out and say, I want to know, God, what is the broken place in my life? I want to know you. I want to make you known, and I want to know who I am in you. I don't want the enemy to lie to me anymore and say that my sin defines who I am, that I'm, I'm not really even saved. I decide tonight that is not who I am. I am the righteousness of Christ, and the healing is going to come when I spend time with my Father. So, Lord, speak to your people as we sing this song. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.